dismiss our kids this morning to Kids Church. As they are being dismissed, I want to communicate that we have, if you look, if you're keeping track, we're almost to the end of 2 Samuel. And everyone said, aww. <laughs> we will, as we, as we approach the Advent season, as we approach the Advent season, uh, we, will, uh, we will, next week we'll begin a series on Advent. Uh, so for the next four Sundays, we will look uh, at Advent and the season of Advent. When we come back in the new year, we'll put a bow on 2 Samuel, and then we'll jump to the New Testament, and we'll begin studying another book uh, in the New Testament. Uh, so coming with the new year, uh, there's hope uh, that, that we will actually finish uh, the book of 2 Samuel. I was hoping that we, would get, that we would be able to finish it before Advent. I just really need at least a couple more weeks to, uh, to finish out the book of 2 Samuel. So we will take a break over the next few weeks, look at Advent, uh, and then as we get into the new year, we'll take about two or three weeks, tie up 2 Samuel, and then we'll begin a New Testament book uh, after that. So as we continue to trudge along in the book of 2 Samuel, I encourage you to open up to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to read this morning verses 15 through 22, and then we're going to jump to chapter 22, and we're going to ve- read verses 1 through 3. But I want you to notice that chapter 22, all of chapter 22 is a psalm, is a song of deliverance that David uh, that David writes in response to the deliverance and to the salvation that God has provided for him, not just in 2 Samuel chapter 21, but in all of 2 Samuel. It is, it is in essence, a, a saga of salvation or a saga of deliverance. And so we're going to look at a couple of passages within 2 Samuel chapter 22, but I want us to understand the context of this psalm, that it is not simply a psalm of praise or psalm of deliverance for what has taken place in chapter 21, but for all of Samuel. So 2 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to begin reading in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 15. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him. And as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbi Benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight and was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, that you may not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sibachai, the Hushatite, struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. And there was war with the Philistines again at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, or again, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war at Gath again, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number. He also had been born to the giant, When he had defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. 
And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. Thou dost save me from violence. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage of scripture, Lord, may we see your great grace, your hand of deliverance, your hand of providence. Lord, may we be able to make application in our own lives. May we give you praise because you and you alone are worthy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as you leave here today, I pray, it's my prayer that you will leave with a heart of praise for who God is. Not only for what God has done, but for who He is, for His very character, for His very nature. And so I want to begin by looking at this passage. And if you read in chapter, if you we're paying attention in chapter 21. It, it appeared that, that every one of these enemies were descendants of the giant from Gath, referencing to Goliath. Now, I want to point out to you that, that the Hebrew is a, is a little bit vague here. And with the, uh, with the information that we have from the ancient text, we're not clear if these were direct descendants of, jo- of Goliath the giant from Gath or if these were brothers, or if these were uh, someone from the lineage of Goliath of Gath. But regardless, it is clear that these were of the same family and the same line of Gath, of of Goliath of Gath. And so I want to point out to you something that we're going to go back and we're going to take just just a brief moment to look at. And this ought to encourage you, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want us to understand what the text says that we often miss. If we remember the story of David and Goliath, David is on his way to fight Goliath, and he stoops down and he picks up how many smooth stones from the brook? Five. How many giants, how many enemies was David intending to face that day? One. So the question is, why did David stop and pick up five stones? Stones. Did was he concerned that that he would miss and that he would need additional ammo? I contend that the reason that David chose five smooth stones is found here in Second Samuel chapter twenty-one. It is customary in a champion's battle for if one champion were to fall, someone from the lineage of that family would step up and would take the place of the fallen champion. And I believe that David's faith in the deliverer, his faith in the God who had delivered him from the hand of the lion and who had delivered him from the hand of the bear was going to deliver him from the hand of this God, of this Goliath, this giant from Gath. And if that Goliath, if that giant fell and there was another to stand up and take his place, that there would be another stone for each and every descendant from the line of Gath. And so David's faith was in the hand of his deliverer. His faith was in God. And so as he picked up five smooth stones, this is a further evidence that God was the deliverer for David. So just something for you to chew on. So if we get to 2 Samuel chapter 21, I want us to see something. If you look at verse 17, after Abishai struck down the first Ishbi Binob, who was the one who, who saw that David was vulnerable, Abishai steps in and he kills the, the challenger, he kills the enemy of David, the 
champion for the Philistines. Look at what it says at the end of chapter 15. I'm sorry, chapter 17, uh, verse 17. Abishai and the nation of Israel made a, a, a policy, if you will, that David will no longer go to battle because he will not allow Abishai and the people of Israel, the generals of Israel, will not allow David to die and extinguish the lamp from Israel. I want us to understand what the text is communicating here. I believe that the text is communicating that one person makes a difference. If we look back through the history of redemption, God uses instruments. He uses people. Now, the redemptive history reminds us over and over and over again that those people and those instruments that God uses are indeed broken vessels. They are tarnished with sin. They are human and their humanity oftentimes shines through. But God nonetheless uses broken vessels. But He uses vessels nonetheless. If we go back and we look, it is one person through whom the lineage, through whom the son of promise is given. Abraham has one legitimate son, Isaac. What happened? What would have happened had Sarah, the barren wife of Abraham, not given birth to Isaac? Moses, one man, was placed in a basket in the Nile River because There was a decree that all of the Hebrew children, all of the male Hebrew children were to be killed at birth. But the mother of Moses put him in a basket. And God provided and delivered that child from certain death. And not only that, but when the child was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, the child was nursed by his own mother, the providential hand of God through one person. And God would use that one person, Moses, to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. As the Persian Empire sought to eradicate all of the Jewish people, all of the people of Israel, God used one, Queen Esther, to deliver her people. God uses one, shepherd boy, to deliver his people from the hand of the Philistines. All through history, we see God uses people. Now, they are broken people. They are are riddled with humanity. They are sinners. They are liars. They are thieves. They are murderers. But God uses people. And I want us to understand that God is absolutely the the deliverer. The, The sermon title this morning was, Is it David's victory or is it God's salvation? And the answer is yes. It's both and. It is absolutely David's victory. But it is absolutely God's salvation. It is both and. So as we look at this, we're reminded of all of the people that God has used throughout human history, throughout the history of redemption. And it reminds me of the book of Romans chapter 16. As Paul oftentimes in many of his epistles, he has an appendix, if you will, where he gets to the end of his appendix, or he gets to the end of his epistle, and he has this 
this appendix and he says, remember so and so and remember so and so because they are, they are faithful and they are good and they are holy and they are, they are helpful for me in the gospel ministry. Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, I want us to hear what Paul says. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who for my life risk their own necks. To whom I not only give thanks, but I also give thanks to all of the churches of the Gentiles. And we read in Paul's letter to his pastoral epistles to Timothy, he tells him, greet the family of Stephanus. And he says, you'll greet so-and-so and and greet so-and-so because they are helpful to me. I am reminded of all of the faithful men and women who have served God's church faithfully. And though he's not here this morning, I'm thankful of the Ed Castens and the Bill Clemens. I'm thankful for the Richard Haydens who serve and the Keith Cooks who show up every Sunday, rain or shine, wife or no wife, kids or no kids. I'm thankful for Richard Argyles and I'm thankful for the Zumbros. Well, I can't remember the last time they've missed. I'm thankful for the faithful who serve, who show up and do the menial tasks that often go unnoticed. We're thankful for those deacons and elders who've served alongside me for so many years. Thank you for being faithful. Because God uses broken vessels. He uses people. I want us also to notice chapter 22. So we get into chapter 22. As I mentioned earlier, this is a saga of salvation. This is not a saga of, this is not a psalm of what God has done in 2 Samuel chapter 21, but this is a song, this is a a psalm of deliverance for what God has done for all of David's life. And I want us to notice how David begins chapter 22. David doesn't walk, meander into the praise of his God. But he explodes into this psalm. Listen to the text. Listen to what it says. Look at verse 2. David says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. You can hear the the, the emphasis in the figurative language. You can see in verse 3, he said, My God, my rock, whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, thou dost save me from violence. He's not using, the language that he uses is not passive. It is not hinting and and subtle it is it is overt and it is big and it is demonstrative that is the nature of the language and as we read this as we read chapter 22 and as we read the psalms we see the emotion that david communicates why why is david communicating with so why does he explode onto chapter 22 with such vivid imagery i'm so glad you asked well, if you look, if you look that he is clearly, he is clearly aware 
that God has fulfilled his promises. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. As David is, is assembling and as he is being, as all of Israel is being, being gathered together under his leadership, listen to the promise that God gave him. Verse 18. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all of their enemies. God is faithful about keeping his promises. God does what he says he's going to do. And as David realizes this, at the end of his life, as David has seen how God has delivered him from the hand of Goliath, as God has has delivered him from the hand of Saul, time and time and time again, as God has delivered him from himself, from his own foolish immorality, from his own foolishness, from his own foolish mistakes, as God has delivered him from marching into battle against Israel with the Philistines, as God has delivered him from the Philistines, as God has delivered him from from Absalom, as God has delivered him from Amnon, as God has delivered him from all of the immorality and all of the, the attacks on his life, David realizes that God keeps his promises. And this morning, we, we paused to dedicate Charlotte. And I'm sure in the coming weeks, we'll dedicate other babies. Because there's something in the water around here and, and, and people keep having babies. And as we dedicate these children, our hope is not in what we do. Our hope is not in our parenting skills. Praise God it's not. I look at my children and they have, they have turned out to be fantastic young men and young women, not because of me, but in spite of me. And why? Because God is faithful about His promises. Philippians chapter 1 tells us, Paul says, I don't know a whole lot, but I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And we read the, the, the promises in the Proverbs that train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old he'll not depart. We read the promises of God and we know that God is faithful, that His Word tells us that He will not leave us nor forsake us, that God has, that Jesus has lost none that the Father has given unto Him. And these are promises that we can take to the bank because God made them and He is faithful about keeping His promises. So as David begins, he explodes with praise because... He has experienced the faithful promises of God. And so, my question to you this morning is if you were to praise God, would you be able to explode with praise like David? Or do we come into a time of praise, whether it's sitting in your car, singing songs, whether it's at home, do we explode with praise? Is it like something that is pent up inside of us? You know, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, said, frustrated that he had not seen any converts to his ministry after years of faithfully preaching. He begins to Lament, cry, 
And then he comes to this realization. He says, but if, if I say I will speak no more in his name, if I say I will prophesy no more in the name of God, then it becomes like a fire that's shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. Is that our response to what God has done for us? You know, several years ago, I, I took a six-week sabbatical, and it was fantastic. I actually got to visit other churches, which as, as, as a pastor, that's a, uh, that's a luxury, that is a, uh, a, a blessing that you don't get to do often. You don't get to see how other churches, how they do their welcome and how they do their, uh, their invitation or how they, uh, how they organize their service, just the different idiosyncrasies of the church services. And, and it, it takes two or three weeks, as you know, just to decompress and just to, just to unplug. You know, after you've gone on a vacation for four or five days, you, you've just unplugged when it's time to go back. After six weeks of being gone, it was, it was a, a blessing. You know, about week five or six, when I was sitting in other church services listening to the pastor preach, it was, it was a, a, a very refreshing time to be fed and to hear God's Word. But there was something in me that said, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back in the pulpit. I want to be up there proclaiming God's Word. Because it's like a fire that shut up inside me and I'm weary of holding it in. David experienced that. He says, God has worked in such a profound way in my life. I have seen him directly intervene in my life and deliver me from the hand of Saul. As Saul's spear is flying at my head. As, as I am hiding in caves. As I am about to walk into certain death. I have seen the hand of God directly intervene in my life. And I cannot help but praise Him. And so the question I have for you. Do you explode with praise? Whenever you get here on Sunday morning and, and the band is up here singing and, 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 and you say, yeah, but I don't like that song. So? It's not about the song that we sing. It's not about the, the style of music. It's about the God that we worship. And whether you worship Him in a, in, a, in a hymn or whether you worship Him in a praise song, whether you worship Him in prayer, it is about the God that we serve. And it's about giving Him the praise that is due Him, not about us. Do you explode with praise or are you, eh, I don't really like this song. I don't really you know, care for this or that. In the midst of God's, in the midst of David's distress, Yahweh directly intervenes. And this is how David interpreted it. Verses 8, 9, 10, 12. I want us to see this. Now, remember... The intervention in David's life was in many times very mundane. Abigail showed up and said, look, here's all this stuff from my master. We would see Hushai who would intervene and convince Absalom to, to use this strategy of battle, not this strategy. Very mundane, very happenstance. But listen how David interpreted it. Verse 8 of chapter 22. Let's start in verse 7. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God and his temple. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help came to his ears. And this is how he responded in verse 8. 
the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Verse 9, smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Verse 12, he made darkness canopies around him and masses of waters and thick clouds of sky. Verse 14 15, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice and he sent out arrows, scattered them, lightning routed them. God intervened in a direct way and for David it was groundbreaking. It was earth moving. When God intervenes in your life in subtle, mundane ways, do we have the spiritual maturity and insight to realize that God has just moved heaven and earth? When baby Charlotte goes into the NICU, she's struggling to maintain her body temperature and she's struggling to eat. We see God directly intervene in her life. Do we realize that the God of all creation has just directly touched our lives and delivered us? Do we realize that God has moved heaven and earth to stick His fingers into the lives and the events in our lives? Do we realize that when a family member, a loved one, goes through rehab and comes out of addiction and the strongholds of addiction are shattered and He's able to live a life that brings praise and glory to honor that God has moved heaven and earth to intervene in the life of an individual? Do we realize whenever God moves that the earth quakes and the heavens tremble? How many waters has God delivered us from? How many times has God delivered us, moved in our lives, and we shrug our shoulders and say, hey, well, it's just coincidence. As you read Psalm 22, it's impossible to grasp the emotion in this text. Somebody asked George Whitfield, in the height of the Great Awakening, they said, Mr. Whitfield, why don't you print your sermons so that they can be distributed all across the United States and all across New England and all across England and, and many, many people could be able to hear and be able to read what God is saying. And George Whitfield responded, he says, I'm, I'm not against printing and dispersing these messages. The only problem is you can't capture the thunder and the lightning of the Spirit of God. And that's the sense that you get when you read the Psalms. And when you read David's Psalm of Thanksgiving, his Psalm of Praise of Deliverance, that that you can't 
You just can't grasp the, the emotion that's there. But I want us to see that David understood. Look at verse 18 and 19. David understood his helplessness. And in order for us to explode with praise, we must first understand our helplessness. Look at verse 18 and 19. David said, after he's just talked about God moving heaven and earth, he says in verse 18 and 19, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Do you hear what he said in verse 18? They were too strong for me. I was helpless. I was unable to deliver myself. And I think the biggest hindrance to us exploding with praise for God is that we rely upon our ability to deliver ourselves. David said, I'm the anointed of God. I'm God's covenant king and my deliverer. My enemies were too strong for me. Church, we must acknowledge our helplessness. We praise God not because we must, but we praise God because we cannot help but. And so this is how, this is the question I want to leave you with and I want us to conclude with. Has God worked in your life in such a way that you cannot help but praise Him. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. Again, David, the psalmist, writes this. In Psalm chapter 40, Verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me, and He heard my cry. And verse 2, it says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. Left unto our own devices, church, left unto our own humanity, we find ourselves in the pit of destruction. Or we may put on a nice suit. We may carry a big black Bible to church. We may have convinced all the world that we've got it figured out. We may be able to pad our retirement account and our 401k and buy a big nice home and live comfortably in this world. But the reality is that we stand before a holy God Helpless, a sinner, condemned, unclean. And the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. And it's a spiritual death, an eternal death. But it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. David understood that left to my own devices, I'm helpless. Oh, I know military strategy. I can, I can direct an army. 
I can even find success. But left to my own devices, it is my soul that is helpless. And God took me out of that pit of destruction and He set me on a firm foundation. He took me out of the miry clay and He set my feet upon the rock. And if God has done that for you, if God has taken you from from despair, if He's taken you from utter death and destruction, if He's taken you from helplessness, helplessness, if He has taken you from the condemnation and the wages of sin and He's placed your feet upon the rock, then you cannot help but speak. You cannot help but praise Him for who He is and what He has done. Amen? Do you realize what God has done? That He had saved, that God in His great love for us saw us in the pit of our destruction and said, you are unable to, you are unable to pay the penalty that is owed. And so I am going to enter into, I'm going to leave the glories of heaven, enter into humanity, and I am going to take upon myself the weight of your sin. I am going to bear upon myself the burden of sin. I am going to pay the penalty for that sin. And the scripture tells us that Jesus Himself, God the Son, became the propitiation that is the payment. He became the payment for our sin and God transferred our sin to Christ, His his beloved only Son. God transferred our sin. He imputed onto Him our sin and He took His righteousness and He imputed it upon to us. So whenever God looks at us, He doesn't see all of our sin, all of our disgusting helplessness, all of our putrid wickedness, but He sees the righteousness of His Son And Jesus bared it all and said, it's finished. It's paid in full. And when we understand what God has done for us, Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, Peter and John, after being beaten, thrown in prison, they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to what you say, you be the judge, but, We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Why? Because I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind and now I see. If you don't explode with praise, my contention is you never met this Jesus. David Platt used an illustration and I think it's very apt. So whenever we meet the God of creation, He radically changes us. Because He is the God of creation. He spoke the worlds into existence. And He used this illustration. He said, if, if, if somebody is hit by an 18-wheeler, it leaves the mark. It impacts them. If they were to walk in here with a few brush burns and a few scrapes and says, I was just hit by an 18-wheeler, no one would believe them. Because they don't look like they've been hit by an 18-wheeler. But if he walks in in a wheelchair, full body cast, neck brace, you know, he says, yeah, a few weeks ago I was hit by an 18-wheeler. You say, okay, <laughs> I believe you. And the problem with the church in the West 
is that we walk around saying that we've had an encounter with the living God, we have met the God of creation, that Jesus has changed our life, yet we don't look like Jesus has changed our life. We go about living our lives just as we always have. We don't explode with praise. We, we, we barely mention Jesus. We're more apt to talk about the football game. We're more apt to talk about, about our fishing, our hunting trip. We're more apt to talk about what sales we found on Black Friday than we are about the God who transformed our life. The reason is, is because He hasn't transformed our life at all. Because we're still wallowing around in the same mire that we've been wallowing around in our whole life. But it's culturally acceptable. It's in style. It's in vogue to say Jesus has changed my life. If He's changed your life, you'll praise Him like He's changed your life. Maybe this morning, you need God to change your life. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you're tired of wandering and struggling in the mire, come to Jesus. He'll take you out of the mire clay and put your feet on the rock. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you take you take our sin, our shame. And you bear it on your shoulders. And as you bear the weight of our sin, the wrath of God was satisfied. That we might be able to enjoy the pleasures and the glory of eternal life. Where there's a truth in your gospel changes everything. There are those here this morning who've heard the truth of the gospel their whole life. But this very day, you've spoken to their heart. They've been walking around saying that Jesus has changed their life, yet their life has not changed at all. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. Let me introduce you to the Savior. God, this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. May you do business with your people here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us.